So thanks for all our listeners. Um, it's Darren from Hacker Job as always here. Um, this week I'm joined by Raj Supermaraya, keynote speaker, writer, and tech career coach. How you doing, Raj? Hey, how's it going? Very good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. No, no, no problem at all. Thanks for uh, Frank for attending. So uh, I, I guess question that I always throw at people when they come on the podcast, first question I always have is a little bit about their background and how they got into the position they are now, because not everyone that's listening will have uh, spoken to you or seen your profile before. So would you be able to give us a bit of context on your background? Sure. Yeah, I would love to. So uh, I am, I grew up in the Southern part of India uh, in, in a conservative middle-class family and uh, my uh, I'm the younger of the two kids and my brother was super smart. He has like three masters and a PhD. Then my dad was a genius as well. And then there was the average kid who uh, was not super smart, but I knew that I was good at something. Um, So that's how I started uh, in my childhood. And since a young age, I developed this uh, inferiority complex that I was never good enough and I didn't matter. The reason was one thing with the Asian community, especially where I grew up, is there's a lot of comparisons going on. So you compare yourself with other people in the sense, uh, wow, he's doing this, I should do that. She's doing this, I should do that, right? So I put pressure on myself to emulate other people. That was the first thing. And second thing was there's this constant pressure to perform and academics was pushed quite a bit. I decided I need a change. So I decided to uh, do a lot of stuff out of my comfort zone. First thing was trying to interact with people, uh, get part-time jobs where I was forced to get out of my comfort zone and then uh, put myself in new atmospheres. That was one thing. Second thing was uh, I decided that uh, I wanted to pursue my master's uh, in the United States in software engineering. And that is kind of my, uh, where I started from. But since I came to the United States, I learned quite a bit in the last 15 years. I started being a software tester, then moved into being a developer, and then came back to testing, then became a developer evangelist, a manager, and now I'm a tech career coach. I kind of figured that I had a knack for helping people to uh, grow in their career. So I transitioned into becoming a tech career coach. And for the past two and a half years, I've been helping people in the tech industry specifically to grow in their career and be successful uh, in leadership roles, pretty much. What was it about the States out of interest that, that made you say, okay, I want to go to the States? Yeah. So a lot of people uh, especially from India and China come to the United States because the education system is really good over here in terms of, uh, at least when, like this was way back in 2008, the system here was really advanced in terms of the courses, in terms of the teaching strategies and different resources available for people. And uh, I know you're in Chicago, which, again, not to stereotype the United States, but Chicago isn't always where people would land when they're looking at, um, like, the tech hubs of the UK. So it's interesting that's where you're, you're based out of. 
Yeah, I actually uh, was not originally in Chicago. I started off uh, in a small place, university town called Rochester, New York. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I graduated from uh, Rochester Institute of Technology. It was re- it's really well known for its software engineering program. So that's where I started from, where I did my master's in software engineering. But then I moved to Cleveland, Ohio, <laughs> of all the places, uh, because my job took me there. And then I moved to Chicago, and I've been here for the past four or five years. So that's kind of my uh, transition between different places. Your background is really, really interesting, because it's not stereotype, but I, I think that when it comes to software engineering, oftentimes you, when, you, when you talk about software engineering, uh, it's often seen as an area where public speaking or confidence around, um, around careers is, is often not always seen. So I think it's great to see that you've transitioned into the role you, you have now. What, what was the interest around it? What, why was the decision made on your side to, to make that transition? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I got into IT way back in 2006 time frame, I would say, the meaning of work was different. So it was all about uh, getting a degree, uh, bumping up your resume, and then uh, trying to get a job with high salary and uh, try to be in one company for like seven, eight years, get seniority, grow up in your career there, no matter how slow it is. And yeah, that was kind of the stigma behind working in tech where uh, you needed the degree and then you needed to just focus on one particular thing. But, But in the past seven, eight years, I started noticing that advancements in technology and so many new different job positions coming up. It's not all about specializing in one thing, but the rule of the game right now is being jack of all trades and master of none, right? So you have your foot in so many different things like development and testing, management, leadership, communication, soft skills. And I started realizing this in the past seven, eight years that, oh, okay, I need to retool my skill set in various domains, apart from just being technical, right? By heart, I'm a technical guy. But then in the past six, seven years, I started doing a lot of stuff. So one thing was uh, I wanted to build my brand. Uh, I wanted people to know me not just because I had a master's in software engineering from RIT, but I wanted people know me by my name, Raj, because Raj brings different things to the table, not just one thing to the table, right? And that included me trying to get uh, become a speaker. But then uh, I started trying to get into leadership roles because uh, that was something people needed because you can be super technical, but you could be really shitty when it comes to leading people or communicating with people. So I started being mentees to other great leaders and managers and then got into that field. And then the coaching and mentoring thing came along uh, through these experiences where I was leading a team of 50 people at one point. And then I saw that I had a knack for helping people grow. So then I started doing coaching. And finally, I also found out how to influence and impact people through content 
Uh, and that's how I got into developer evangelism, where you can help build companies' brand by providing value and thought leadership. So those were all the aspects which I put my foot into in the past seven, eight years, which led me to where I am today. And you're, um, just before we move on, you're also a contributor from our conversation a few weeks ago to a couple of different publications, aren't you? Yeah, because uh, coming back to building the personal brand, which is the new game, uh, which is the new motto for people to get advanced in their career, which is building personal brand. So as part of that, I found out to make yourself visible, you need to provide impact to the community. One way is speaking, but, but, but another way is writing content, right? So I started blogging way back in 2012 and then got better at writing. And as you said, right now I have over 55 publications in various magazines and uh, blog posts because uh, that's a really great way to put your name out there and also provide impact to the community. So now people won't know me just as this software developer or developer evangelist, but they'll know me as a person who impacts the community, right? So that's, it's all about personal branding. Yeah, I totally agree. So uh, I guess let's talk about the job application process. So in the current climate that we're in now, it's really important for both, I guess, companies and the candidates to be proactive and use a lot of digital tools to their advantage. So looking at it from a, a company's perspective, what would you recommend companies do in order to attract technical talent at the moment? And I guess a follow-up question to that, how can hiring managers stand out and be persuasive at the moment? A great question. Uh, I guess a lot of companies are currently trying to figure that out, right? Yeah, exactly. Especially, I don't know how it's in the UK, but in the US, uh, we have over 30 million jobs which have been lost already, right? And yes, the economy is slowly coming back up. But yeah, so there are a lot of people looking for jobs and uh, companies want the right people to join them as well, right? So I think we could break this question up into a couple of things. So one is what attracts people to your company? I think the first thing is culture. Yeah. So for example... If you, yeah, of course, people know about Google, Facebook, Amazon and stuff. But at least in the U.S., there are some company, companies which are really popular because of the culture. And when I say culture, it's about providing a diverse and inclusive work environment and also having good work-life balance. So, for example, there's a company called Buffer. And it's like a really, yeah, so it's a really popular social media publishing tool. And you have a lot of other features. And yep. Buffer has a policy where every person's salary is open from CEO all the way to the person who, I guess, who is in the facilities department, right? Yep. And that is the level of transparency people have, right? And people, if, if you say Buffer here in the US, immediately people know, huh, that's a great company. That's because that's how open they are. And again, I'm not saying all these all the companies have to have all the salaries open, but people remember a company by the culture. So that is the first thing you need to keep in mind where you have to build a culture where your current employees through word of mouth tell other people about how great the company is. And that's the best way to get the best talent, right? And get more referrals. Yeah. 
and uh, and so, sorry to interrupt, but uh, I guess what I've what I think is interesting when you talk about culture is culture for many years has been that Google, Amazon, uh, Facebook culture where it's like we've got restaurants on site, we've got ping pong tables, etc. Right. For me, that is a tiny bit of culture. Like that, that just you've got ping pong tables on site, and I can eat a bit of food in, in the morning, breakfast wise. Doesn't mean you have a good culture. That is a subset of it. So it's so much more than what people think about. Exactly. That's such a great point because that's how people get you, uh, especially Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, the big four or five companies. They have all these free things. This is what I tell my coaching client. It's and it's so true. It's like uh, how you uh, foster a chicken. You feed chicken with a lot of food. Make sure it has the best pasture land to graze and grow. And then finally, then you eat the chicken, right? So that's what these big companies are doing. They're giving you free food, uh, free Wi-Fi, all these perks, but you end up working 16 hours a day. Exactly. That yep. is not culture. Culture is you treat people the way you want to be treated, right? The golden rule. And then having healthy work-life balance because based on research, it's found that about 50 to 60% of the people who work in these companies have mental health issues, which is a big thing right now. In fact, I had to go through anxiety, depression, and all these things to get to where I am today because uh, I thought just working long hours means productivity and means that I could get promotions, but it's totally untrue. Right? So that's why culture, as you said, is more than the materialistic things. It's about the human values. It's about uh, how we build an inclusive environment. It's about what people say about you when your company, when uh, through word of mouth, right? So that is one thing. The second thing I would say is also empowering people and providing sufficient resources for them to grow. Because let's be uh, idealistic here in the sense, of course, we want, we do all our jobs to provide impact and now provide value. But uh, bottom line is you need money as well for your family and you need to grow. You need to have that feeling of accomplishment and fulfillment. Uh, And I guess flipping that slightly on its head, and looking at it from a job strategy perspective for from a candidate point of view, mm-hmm. what should people be doing at the moment, in your opinion, in order to be successful in their job applications? I guess particularly with advice of, of my background and your background from a tech perspective. Yeah. So as I was saying, there are a lot of people applying for the same jobs, especially yeah. in this moment. Say, for example, you apply for a software developer job. The odds are thousands of people are applying for the same job in the same company. So the question is, how are you going to stand out from those thousand people? That's the thing which we need to think about. And there are different ways to do that. So the first thing is you want to strategize your job application process. So what do I mean by that? So when, for example, a, uh, a true story from my personal life. So when I came to the U.S. in 2008, the recession started. And uh, as an immigrant at the time, it was really hard to get jobs. Sure. And from 2009 to 2010 timeframe, I applied for 1,293 jobs. 
And uh, guess how many callbacks I got from 1,293 jabs. I'm kind of I'm cheating here because you told me the answer <laughs> to this. I, I, I feel like you said four. Was that? Exactly. So it was four callbacks. Yeah. <laughs> and then I converted one jab out of it, right? But truth to be told, for the first 500 jobs, I was just stupid because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just randomly and blindly applying for it, right? That's because I didn't strategize my job application process. So what you need to do right now is first thing, have an Excel sheet and then identify different jobs you're interested in and put those job links in one column, then put the date you applied for in one column and then put another column for follow-ups and then contact person. So have an Excel sheet where you actually track each job application process. A lot of people do not do that. And because of that, what happens is you lose track of what you did and you just yeah. randomly applying for jobs just with the hope that someone calls you. But right now you have control of where you applied for jobs. And after seven days, you have to do one important thing, which not a lot of people do, which is follow up with that particular person saying, hey, I applied for this job because of these reasons. I think you'll be a great fit for me because I could provide this value. I was wondering whether you had any updates on it. Just that doing that one small step automatically puts you ahead of other people because not a lot of people do it. So strategize your job application process and make sure you follow up. The second thing you want to do is use LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the most underestimated and most powerful tool for tech people like us, because that's where everyone hangs out. That's where your dream job is. So you first thing is you need to update your LinkedIn profile. And of course, if you don't have a LinkedIn profile, if you're listening to this podcast, go create one right yeah, now. Just put a right pass now. on this podcast right now and <laughs> create a LinkedIn profile. The reason is everything you put on LinkedIn is SEO. So what do you mean by that? Every word, every job description, you would mention programming, C++, or JavaScript, leading themes, agile processes, every word you put in is indexed by Google. So the next time someone, some company is looking for, say, a developer evangelist, right? When they put developer evangelist, my name would show up in the top 10 list. That's because I put so much uh, description and use the keywords on my LinkedIn profile so that I can get indexed by Google. So yep. you have to do the link, update your LinkedIn profile. And also a lot of people forget this with LinkedIn where they already have a network. Say, for example, I have over 5,000 people in my network, right? But say people are just starting off with LinkedIn, they would at least have like 400, 500 people. So what you could do is start going through your LinkedIn profile, like your contacts and see who has your ideal job in an ideal company? And just reach out to that person saying, hey, I'm looking for these kind of jobs. Could you tell me more about what you do in that company, right? So getting all this information helps you in two ways. One is you can get to know about jobs which are not even advertised yet. Second thing is when you attend interviews, you know how to tell a compelling story based on what they're expecting from you, right? So. Uh, right off the bat, these are two strategies which people can use to stand out from the crowd in the job application process. And one, there are, of course, there are three to four other things which I could mention, but uh, of course, uh, people can check those things out in my book. But one thing I wanted to mention was uh, you need to have the right mindset as well, because people feel that 
they're stuck in their career, they're anxious, they feel that there's so many people applying for jobs, how are, how are people going to choose you, right? So if you have that mindset, it's going to affect you during interviews and when you actually talk to people because you already feel you have, like, uh, you have this inferiority complex which is already putting you back, right? What, by one step or two steps at least. So have a mindset where focus on what you're doing and believe in yourself that you can definitely get the job you want. I, I utterly agree that I think the most powerful tool that no one uses is networking. No one networks. Networking is a, it's a forgotten art that if you're, if you're a recruiter and you're getting a thousand applications, like we've just discussed, you probably will get through the first hundred that have already applied and then you'll never get to rest of them. So you'll find a few people with exactly. that. So the, the rest of the 900 is, it's just waste. Whereas if you're networking with a hiring manager and saying, Hey, so I applied for your role. I've not heard back from it. Um, is it, um, is, is my profile something you're interested in or is there anything that you've got going on at the moment that we can talk about from a hiring manager perspective there's probably of those thousand people probably 30 40 tops will reach out to him exactly and they're really and hiring managers they're like you they're really interested in what you what you're going to bring to the table so they probably will be very open to having a conversation and, and it won't always be the perfect time to reach out to them it, some may not come back to you some may say not this time but at least then they're in your network so that next time you're looking or they're looking, you can help each other. I guess changing the, the, the tone of the conversation, but building off something we discussed a couple of weeks ago, which I, I thought was fascinating and a little bit heartbreaking in some ways. So when we, we, we touched on, upon kind of racism and um, I'm really interested in, uh, in discussing that because I think it's a really in, in important topic to discuss. And mm-hmm. I definitely want to... Uh, to give you the platform to share your thoughts on this. Can you tell us a little bit how racism has affected you personally? Um, I guess, particularly in the workplace. Yeah, but I should tell you the first trigger event, which actually sparked my whole movement against preventing racism in work environments, right? So I have to start from the, my personal story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's so take people it can understand why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. So, this was way back in 2009-ish. Uh, I'd just come to the United States and uh, I was visiting my aunt. I was going to visit my aunt in Canada, right? And what I was using this uh, really old GPS system, which wasn't even updated at that it's point of time. I'm sorry. When you told me this, this was terrifying. I know. It was terrifying. So just to paint the picture. So I was this brown kid with a weird Indian accent. So if you think right now I have a thick accent, trust me, in 2009, I had an even thicker accent, right? So I had this weird thicker accent. I was 50 pounds heavier. Um, I had a Buick LeSabre, which is a really old American car, a 98 car. And I was listening listening to hip hop music, right? So just painting the picture. So I go, so I was driving my car and just to, take a step back. I was not actually going towards Canada. I was actually visiting my aunt in Detroit, Michigan, which is near Canada. Wonderful. But in Detroit, every alternate exit literally goes to Canada. So in 2009 time frame, I was new. I didn't know anything. Uh, I was listening to music and by mistake, I took a wrong exit and went to the exit which goes towards Canada. And it's a one way at that point of time. So yeah, I cannot turn back. 
So I go to this border uh, between the U.S. and the Canadian border. It's called the no man's land, apparently. Yeah. And so that first is the U.S. border. So I go there and uh, I, I tell them, hey, I'm here by mistake because my GPS <laughs> told me to get here. I don't want to go to Canada. Could I just turn back? But then hearing me talk and seeing my appearance and seeing my car, etc., they got really suspicious. Why is this brown kid here? And he's telling me he doesn't want to go to Canada. So they made me park my car at a corner and then two cop cars came. And at that point of time, it was new. I didn't know anything, right? So the cops got out of the car and um, I just want to let them know that I was here by mistake. Apparently, no one told me that you just you have to stay in your car when the cops come, but I didn't know that because I came from a different country, right? Yeah. So I just opened my car door and got up and then immediately the cops reached for their gun and pointed it towards me saying, what the hell are you doing, right? That was shocking for me because if, if people are following the current stories, I'm lucky that nothing, the, yeah. it just stopped with them pointing the gun and nothing happened further. Uh, right. But the point was to cut a long story short, they took me to an interrogation room. They interrogated me for an hour uh, saying why I was there. Why did I come to the United States? Why did I pursue my master's in RIT? I don't understand why they had to know all that kind of information. But then after an hour, uh, one of the uh, ladies there who was part of the interrogation said, hey, go easy on the boy. And then they decided to let me go, but not just yet. They took fingerprints and then they took pictures of me and then they made me pay $30 as processing fee for, for something which I didn't even, I didn't do anything, right? Yeah. But that, that whole experience traumatized me even now. And then slowly I started uh, now shifting the conversation to the workspace. I started seeing similar kind of stereotyping and racism in work environments as well, right? For example, people made fun of my accent uh, when I was speaking, right? And that was hurtful. And it was not only me. Apparently, a lot of other people were staying in the same boat. And then people stereotyped me as well. Since I came from southern part of India, they thought all the people from southern part of India, you know, do things one way. And when I started talking like this and people said, who the hell are you? How, how are you so different from other people, right? That's why I want to make them understand that yep. people are different, right? Anyways, uh, what I'm trying to say here was uh, in the work environment, yeah, there's a lot of uh, stereotyping, racism. That's when I decided that I have to talk about it uh, may, and let people know about it. And when I was leading teams, I wanted to make sure I build a diverse and inclusive work environment as well. In fact, recently I published... Uh, one of my articles got published in the Goodman Project. I would highly recommend checking it out. Um, I share seven strategies to build a diverse and inclusive work environment for people. So it's based on my real life experiences, right? And uh, in terms of work environment and how we can make it inclusive, yeah, it starts with understanding cultural differences and being open to learning other people's culture. That's where it starts first, because right now, we work and we live in a diverse work environment from people from different countries, different culture, different colors, different race. And 
when you're open to learning other people's cultures, based on my experience being 19, 15 years, I see that you get more creative ideas, you get more high performing teams when you're open and under, open to other cultures. And then also give, provide a channel for open conversations. For example, when I was leading teams, I used to host what is called potlucks, where uh, I used to encourage people to bring food uh, once a month on a Friday, specific to their cultures, right? There's no this buying food from outside shit. They yeah. have to actually make food to actually join the party. What that does is food is a great icebreaker, uh, especially for uh, having really interesting conversations. So people will have different kinds of food and they would say, hey, wow, this tastes so good. Is this a staple of India? For example, I'm just giving a conversation. Yeah, and people say, yeah, it's a staple for India, especially where I come from. There's a big thing because of these reasons. Then it starts this whole conversations and uh, uh, culture conversations. And those are some things where uh, you as a leader or even as an individual contributor could start in your work environment to prevent uh, racism and diversity. And I think uh, this is an ongoing issue because people think it's over. It's not over as you can see. No. So I think people like you and me, uh, we just have to be uh, sharing our message, sharing our experiences so that other people who are scared to open up can open up seeing me talk about my real life experiences. And uh, you're just providing a channel for other people to come out of the shell and also uh, acknowledge that they're not alone. We have a whole group of people who could support you as a community. But that's my whole uh, take on why, for me, the racism issue is a big thing, and also why it's really important uh, to build a diverse and inclusive work environment. Yeah, I think as, as human beings, we've all got a responsibility to be kind to one another. It's, it's scary that we're in 2020 and that's still not been the case. I, I think that um, it's very hard to, to understand diversity if, if your parents and, um, and the ones around you aren't building that into the system. So I hope that maybe not the, our, your sons and my niece's generation, but hopefully the generation after that, we start making those incremental changes so that people in a podcast in 20 years time don't need to have this conversation. Yeah, that's a valid point. And uh, I think uh, it starts with education mainly, okay. especially at the start of our podcast, you, you asked a question about how companies can attract people to join their company. When I said culture, yep. it's, it just, this is part of that. You need to have diverse, diversity and inclusion trainings uh, and educate people, your employees, on how to treat people with respect and how, what other people go through when they're in a foreign land, right? Yep. So um, I guess we, we ask this to every, every guest with the big C word that's going on in the world at the moment. What would be your one prediction for what the tech recruitment market looks like in 2021, 2022? Is there anything that you think will, will change from a career perspective? Yeah, I definitely believe with the current advancements in technology, such as like technology, such as AI, cryptocurrency, blockchain. I think the skill sets you're going to look out for uh, 
within candidates is going to be slightly different. It's not just uh, your Java programming or just JavaScript programming, but it's also going to be about learning about these technologies and uh, how it's implemented and then learning proprietary languages related to these technologies as well. So for example, let's just take AI. People need to know about what data sets mean, how to train an AI model, how do you know it's outputting the right information? I give talks on AI because I do I do a lot of work on AI diversity space. So the skill sets people are going to look for is going to be different, and based on the technology, then communication is going to be really really big because right now, before for example, if you're using Visual Studio. Um, or other editors like Eclipse, uh, you had to write code from scratch for a lot of stuff. Right now you have frameworks and stuff that generates code for you. You literally do three, four lines of coding. So no one gives a shit about whether you know the program detail anymore. Yes, it is important, but you also need to have the communication skills and need to have be a team player. And what I mean by communication skills, you need to be able to tell a compelling testing story. So for example, say as a tester, you find a bug in a software, the way you communicate that bug to a developer is going to be different, to, different in terms of the way you communicate it to a project manager compared to a business analyst. For, for example, a developer would be more interested to know what systems were affected from the technical standpoint. A business person wants to know how the customer is affected. A project manager needs to know how the schedule, project schedule is affected. So in terms of the skill sets and where, where the job market is heading in 2021, 2022, it's going to be about more than your degree. It's going to be about how, what courses you have taken in latest technologies. It's going to be about whether you have proven record of being a good communicator. It's going to be about whether you're capable of uh, thinking out of the box. And the way you do that is uh, have some sample projects on GitHub on different things, uh, uh, which is not related to your work because that shows creativity, that shows uh, drive to learn new things. So I think those are kind of the three things uh, which are probably going to be more uh, needed in 2021, 2022 timeframe, especially with all these new startup companies coming from, it makes a lot of sense. And um, uh, you've got a book coming out. So we've got about four or five minutes left in the, in, in the pod. So it'd be good to spend two minutes on, the, on you saying a little bit about what your book is. So any listeners that are interested in, in reading it can reach out about getting a, a copy. So first thing, the book is about career advancement. It's mm. called Skyrocket Your Career the no bullshit approach to find your dream job, be successful in it and transform into a rock star. So that's the book. So why I wrote the book. So currently this is the thing. People feel stuck in their career. They are anxious about their job security and there are already a lot of jobs which have been lost and people are looking for new jobs. And finally, there are people who want to take the leap in their career, but they're afraid to make a change because of the fear of the unknowns. And I was in the exact same situation in 2008, where I applied for 1,293 jobs. And over the past 15 years since then, I've learned so many different strategies, 
which have trans which has transformed my life from uh, having an entry level job position into running a six figure business, right? And I share all these strategies in this book, real practical tips to help you find the dream job, yep. make sure you become successful in it, and then different strategies to set you miles apart from the competition. This book is going to, going to show you that the power to make a change is already within you. You just have to tap into that, right? So that's what my book is all about. It's about how to advance in your career under any circumstances. And I cover a lot of different things here in the book, but mainly there are four aspects which are going to be really, really beneficial for people. One is kind of what we talked about, how to strategize your whole job application process. If you thought the four or five things I mentioned in this podcast was useful, I've mentioned more things in the book. Uh, with templates, actual downloadable templates, like the Excel sheet I talked about, I already created it. People literally have to download it. And all those things are in the book. The second thing I talk about is interviews, how to ace interviews. Because since 2008, I've increased my salary by 150%, which is crazy. And I am an average guy. That's what I want to let people know. If I can do it, so can you. So there's different interview strategies you could use to ace interviews and also do salary negotiation. So I literally talk about those things. Then the second part of the book is about two things. One is how to be really successful at work where you, first thing is you try to do all the shitty jobs people don't want to do because a lot of people don't do that, but when you do that and then make an impact, then people start recognizing you, right? So that's one simple way of doing it. But I talk about different strategies to make you successful at work. And finally, I talk about how to exponentially uh, boost your growth. But yeah, that's my book. And uh, yeah, super excited about it. Amazing. Uh, so we've kind of got to the end of, well, we have got to the end of the podcast now. So thanks again for joining. Um, really, really enjoyed the, the chat. If people want to reach out to you, obviously, uh, regarding the book or any the strategies you've outlined on this, how is the best way to reach out to yourself? The best way is two things. One, you can go to my website, which is rajsubra.com, which is R-A-J-S-U-B-R-A.com. Uh, that's my website, which has all the resources about me, what I do, how I make an impact. And finally, I'm super active on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is my jam. Uh, you'll see me posting pretty much every day. So yeah, just connect with me on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn because I provide a lot of content to help other people as well. So Amazing. And if people want to reach out to myself or the HackerJob team, as always, if you reach out to hello at hackerjob.co. Thanks again for your time, Raj. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you.